Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word, and Lord, it is jam-packed full of truths. It, It gives us all that we need to live a life of godliness, and so we realize Genesis 35 and all that it entails uh, is for us tonight, here and now. It's not just an outdated story uh, for, for some other generation. It's for us. And there's things in this chapter that you want to speak directly to us. So we look to, tonight to your word as the authority and we look with expectation and anticipation because you want to speak to us. And this is the, the primary method through which you speak to your church. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Return to God's House is the title of tonight's message. Return to God's House. Jacob had spent 20-some years in Haran working for his father-in-law, Laban, and really growing his family. And then in Genesis 31, God says, hey, it's time to go back. Get back to where you once belonged. Right, like the Beatles song. Get back to where you once belonged. Interestingly enough, that Beatles song is talking about Tucson, Arizona. Put us on the map, yo. But, no, it's talking about Haran for Jacob. Go back to, I'm sorry, not Haran. It's talking about the land of Canaan for Jacob. He says, go back to the land of your kindred. And once again, a lot of people like to throw Jacob under the bus. And a lot of people will say, commentators will say, even guys I respect, they say, well, he was supposed to go to Bethel. Instead, he went to Shechem. And then all the drama of chapter 34 happened. If you were with us last week, it was dramatic and traumatic. And he said, they say all the drama of chapter 34 was a result of Jacob's disobedience because he didn't go to Bethel. And now he does. But I just want to say, again, on behalf of my, my man Jacob, the, the scriptures are not explicit as far as God telling him to go to Bethel. It just says, it simply says, return to the land of your kindred. Which could be a better, there could be a better case made for him returning to Hebron where Isaac was living. Uh, but nevertheless, in general sense, go back to Canaan. And so he packs up, he heads back, and we see what happened while he was in Shechem last week. But it is nice to view, to, to be able to look at Jacob and say, that was wrong, and this is why this bad stuff happened. Especially as a teacher, as a Bible teacher, it's nice to try to like compartmentalize the scriptures and make it real cut and dry and say, hey, uh, you know, this is what happens when you obey God, good things happen. When you disobey God, bad things happen. And and as a general principle, that's true. It is. But let me tell you, it it doesn't always happen that way. Life is more complex than that. And did you know the Bible is more complex than that? And so we see Jacob stepping out, obeying the Lord, returning to the promised land, and then having chapter 34 go wrong. Were there mistakes made? Yeah. Was it complete act of disobedience? We don't necessarily know, but I bet Jacob was wondering... Like everybody else normally wonders, I, I, I stepped out in faith and I came to the land of Canaan and this horrible thing happens to my daughter. This horrible thing happens and my sons commit this horrible sin. And he could be asking why. I, I was walking in obedience to the Lord. But it's here in chapter 35 that God intervenes in this situation. This is where we're meeting Jacob between chapter 34 and 35. 
God intervenes. He pulls Jacob out of this gray area of confusion and misdirection and questioning. And he pulls Jacob back into a clear direction, a clear path to walk in God's will. And his direction for Jacob is really simple in this chapter. He says, return. Go back to the place you first saw me. Go back to Bethel where you first experienced me personally. Return to your first love, as Jesus put it to the church of Ephesus in Revelation. Return to me. And I want to tell you guys, and I mentioned this before, the key to a successful Christian walk is not performing for God. And it's not understanding everything God does, because you're not going to. You're not going to get everything He does. It's simply returning to the Lord again and again and again. Whatever situation you're facing, allow it to cause you to return to the Lord, to be dependent on Christ and return back to Jesus. Are you in a messy situation? It's just a mess. You don't know who's right or who's wrong, and it's just full of drama and pain. Stop trying to figure it out and fix it and simply return to Jesus. Take it back to the Lord. Have you fallen into sin? Stop wallowing in your own shame and take it to Jesus. Return to the Lord. Right? Are you just, confu- are you just in a place where you're just confused about life? You don't know where God's leading you. You don't know what to do, where to go next. Stop trying to figure it out and simply return to the Lord. Because the solution, guys, it's not going to be found in understanding the situation or in sulking or in you fixing it on your own. It will be found in nearness to God. The solu- I'll say that again. The solution for you and your problems will be found in proximity, nearness to the Lord. The Lord doesn't explain chapter 34. We don't get an explanation from God. We don't get a breakdown as to who did what wrong and where it went wrong. We don't. He simply calls Jacob to return. He simply shows up on scene. He says, hey, go back to Bethel. Come back to me. Go back to the house of the Lord. And, and by the way, for some of you watching online, this may be a direct message that you should come back to the house of the Lord. Right? I know some of you have health issues and that's, that's totally fine, but I think some are just lazy. I, if I could just call it out, I think there's a lot of people who are just lazy who don't want to come to church. And, they don't want to get dressed anymore and come to church and they don't want to get plugged back into fellowship. But we miss you. We need you. The church needs people to come back to fellowship and to be in the midst, mingling with us. And so... Maybe literally, maybe this is a message for, for some literally, return to the house of God. Uh, but Jacob returns to Bethel in this chapter as he reconnects with the Lord. Verse 1 says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So, as the Lord instructs Jacob, hey, I want you to return to the house of God. How does Jacob respond? It's almost like he instinctively responds with the call to purification for his household. God's like, follow me. And Jacob's like, we need to get pure. We need to get right. We need to cast out our idols. And this, I want to say, guys, is a natural result of experiencing the presence of God. 
That is, you become sensitive to the unholy things in your life and you want to change them. That's a natural byproduct of God's presence in your life. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, Jesus' sermon basically teaching us about the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty amazing section, 14 through 16. He says that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. So if the Holy Spirit is present, is at work in your life, and you have invited Him in, you will become sensitive to the shortcomings in your life, and you will want to change them. Does it mean you'll be perfect? No. But it means you will be aware of those idols. You will be aware of those false gods and the uncleanness in your life, and you will make steps to change that uncleanness. And I'll say that the opposite is true as well. That if you are living in sin comfortably and you have no intentions to change, if there's an outright blatant sin in your life that you just embrace wholeheartedly, you have no intentions of resisting it or fighting it, then there's a good chance the Holy Spirit isn't at work in your life. There's a good chance Jesus isn't your Lord. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a scary place to be. The people in, the, in that camp will stand before the Lord one day and He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's, you don't want to be in that camp. So as the Holy Spirit prompts us, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, like Jacob, may we respond in this way. So Jacob, he becomes sensitive to these things and he says to his household, hey, let's get rid of these gods, these foreign gods. Let's just get rid of these idols in our house. And so I, I want to talk briefly about idols with you guys. An idol is anything in your life that you put above God as far as priority. You prioritize it above God in your life. It's anything in your life that you worship that isn't the true and living God. Anything that you worship and bow down to that isn't the true and living God. And there's the, the obvious idols, right, right, of primitive culture. We, we like to think we're so far above and so far advanced from the previous cultures. They had literal carved idols, you know, the God of the sun, the God of the rain, the God of money or pleasure or whatever. You had all these idols, and we might be or seem too sophisticated to actually worship hand-carved images, but nevertheless, the same ideologies they worshipped, we worship today as idols. We do. We have them in our midst, and it's more subtle than you think. For instance, okay, God, the Bible says God is truth. Jesus said, I am truth. The Bible says God's word is truth, okay? However, if you value what you find in science textbooks when it is actually contrary to the word of God, you might have some idolatry in your life. If you value the latest news headline or that latest article that's been released, even though it's contrary to God's word, that is a form of idolatry. You are exalting another truth, so-called truth, above God and above the truth of God. And that's, that's idolatry. In fact, I, I like to say this. Whatever determines your truth for you is your God. That's your God. At the end of the day, whatever really sets in concrete what you believe is truth, that's your God. For a lot of people, it's their own brain. It's their own wit, and it, they're their own God. For some people, it's the media. For some people, it's this celebrity or that public figure. And I hope for you, it's God, that God determines that. Here's another example. The Bible says that God is love. God is love. However, if you follow society's example of love, 
over God's example of love, that's a form of idolatry. Even if it sounds moral, even if it sounds loving, if it goes against the word of God, it's not true love. It's not real love. Sex outside of marriage is not real love. Homosexual relationships is not real love. It's dangerous. It's damaging. It's not what God desires or designs. Love, you can't just say love is love. When you say that, it, you're leaving it totally subjective. And love is whatever you define that, that to be. Love is love. Just accept that love. Well, let it, what if love is treating someone horribly and beating them and taking advantage of them? What if that's my de- definition of love? Is love love? You're getting, on, you're getting in some shaky ground now and, unless you stand on the word of God as far as what love is. Sacrifice. Obedience to the truth. Apart from truth, there is no love. How can you love in in a lie and live a lie? One more example. God is the God of all comfort, the Bible says. And this this is a big one because I think we we fall into this quite a bit, okay? God is the God of all comfort, meaning when you are in need of comfort, you're in need of of something to come and heal your heart or, or help you in your depression or your discouragement. God is supposed to be that first coping mechanism. Did you know that? God is supposed to be your coping mechanism, that you would go to God. And yet, how often do we go to recreational drugs or alcohol or pornography or sex or food or social media? If we go to any of those, and, and I'll, I'll say with some of them, some of them aren't, aren't outright bad, but if you go to them first before you go to God, that's, that's idolatry. See how subtle idolatry is? You see how it can really sneak into our lives? We get the idea. And in their day, a lot of these same forms of idolatry, there was a carved image connected to it, and they would have this carved image that they would carry around representing that idol. But you might ask, well, this is Jacob's family. This is the family of God. Why would they have idols? Aren't they like the one family that should be worshiping the true and living God? Yeah, they are. However, they are full of idols at this point. Hopefully not Jacob, but remember Laban was an idolater. Grandpa Laban, who they lived up, who they grew up with, influenced them in the way of idolatry. And unfortunately, Rachel seems to still have been an idolater. She valued the idol enough to steal it from Laban. And not to mention that Jacob's sons just slaughtered a whole village full of idolatry and looted it and probably took some of their idols or a lot of their idols. So Jacob's house is probably full of idols at this point. And so Jacob says, it's time. It's time to clean house. And regardless, they grew up, their family was idolatry. They grew up around idolatry, but it, it didn't matter. They could not keep their idols and follow the true God, and neither can we. We cannot continue down the path of idolatry and continue down the path of God's will for your life. We have to forsake idols in our life if we want to follow God's will for our life. Jacob says, guys, get rid of these false gods because we're going to set ourselves apart. We're going to be the one family in this world that worships the true and living God, not a pretend God. And the same should be true for us guys as Christians. And then Jacob, he says, after getting rid of their idols, he says, hey, change your clothes, change your garments, wash yourselves, put on some clean clothes. Isn't that interesting? Is it like a super strict Baptist church where they got to like put on a suit and tie? Is that what he's, is that what he's getting at? You know, what, what does changing the clothes have to do with seeking God? Well, I want to tell you guys, throughout the Bible, we see clean garments 
as a symbol for righteousness. And, and dirty garments represent unrighteousness in somebody's life. This is a, a picture we see all the way through. Isaiah said, you know, your sins are like filthy garments. Your unrighteousness is, our unrighteousness is filthy rags. Revelation, Jesus says the church will be clothed in fine linen, which is the righteous acts of the saints. It's righteousness. Of course, and there's a principle of us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That we will be clothed in this. It's a picture of righteousness. When you, when you are righteous, it will affect the way you look on the outside. And in fact, in Jesus' day, unfortunately, when he came on scene to check out the righteousness of Israel face to face, it was all about what they wore on the outside and it was nothing, had nothing to do with true righteousness on the inside. And Jesus said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're all shiny and nice, but you open the door and it's all dead men. Dead men's bones, he said. He said, you're like a, you're like a shiny cup. You're constantly polishing the outside of this shiny cup and the inside is just nasty, full of, full of yuckiness nobody wants to drink from. He says, he calls out their hypocrisy and he says, you need to clean the inside of the cup and the outside will take care of itself. He says, the outside will become clean. He says, true righteousness is within. But he did say, the outside will become clean. So if you are to truly pursue righteousness, it will affect the way you look on the outside. We come to Christ just as we are, guys. We come to Christ in our, you know, vulgar shirts and maybe inappropriate clothes or, you know, promoting a, a, a band that you probably shouldn't be promoting as a Christian. We come to Christ like that. He, he receives anybody and everybody, right? He receives us just as we are. But He loves us enough not to leave us there. And if He's cleaning your life out, there comes a point in time where you should ask, do I need to start changing my wardrobe a little bit? It should affect the way you dress on the outside. I'm not saying you should come to church in a suit and tie or in a dress ladies all the time. Nevertheless, if, if you're walking with Christ, it will affect you on the outside. It will affect the way you present yourself. What you represent with what you wear, it will affect it. So Jacob, he cleans up himself, he cleans up his family, not so he can be accepted by God, but because he's already accepted by God and he wants to walk with God. So in response to what he's doing, in his, what the Lord is doing in his heart and life, he says, hey, let's, let's clean up. Let's present ourselves to the Lord because we care and because we love him. Verse 3 says, Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God, the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. It's like, I have a God, unlike all these idols, I have a God who actually answers me in my times of trouble. And so do we, guys. Verse 4, So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. What a, uh, an awesome picture of just repentance and lightheartedness within this family. It's, it speaks of Jacob's leadership. It really does. But this would be a good chapter to study if you're a treasure hunter, wouldn't it? If you're an archaeologist like looking for a cool dig. like They, they, buried, all, they buried all these gold rings. And all these carved idols and images. It would be, that'd be a sweet find as an archaeologist. But Jacob, he, he takes all these things and he goes and hides them in secret. He buries them so his family does not know where they are. Reason being is he does not want them to return to those idols. 
And I love this because Jacob is actively leading his family in the things of the Lord right now. He is taking charge. Unlike last chapter, where it seemed like he was kind of sitting in the back seat, very passive, he is now actively leading his family in the things of the Lord. And guys, this is a great example for us as men in our culture, especially if you become a father. You, as a husband and as a father are the spiritual priest of your home. You're responsible for the spiritual condition of your home. And we need to follow Jacob's example and take this responsibility seriously. Jacob is the first to initiate the cleaning of his house. And we should be too, men, as, as husbands and as fathers. Jacob is also the first to throw in any idols he might have. He, he's the one who digs the hole. and He's the one who throws in the idols, protecting his family. And I, I love this picture. It's commendable of Jacob to do this to initiate this. And we see them all giving their idols over, desiring to follow the true and living God. And there should be a point in our lives, again, bringing this home, where we do this personally. And, And not just like the ideologies, not just changing the way we think, but the physical things in our lives that we know represent evil in our lives. Hey, it, There's no place for Ouija boards and tarot cards. I'm just going to say it outright. Like, don't mess with that stuff. It might be fun to the world because they, they kind of half believe in the devil. They half believe in supernatural. But we know biblically that it's the real deal. That there really is demonic activity and they love to come into the places that they're invited. If there's physical representations of the struggles in your life, get rid of them. Trash that pipe. Get rid of that pornography. Maybe it's an app on your phone. You just need to get rid of it altogether because it's not bearing fruit in your life. Maybe it's some phone numbers you've got to get rid of. Get rid of it. I think, I think a lot of us could benefit from going through our playlists and, and getting rid of all the junk that, well, I just like that beat. Come on. You know, you wake up in the morning and that line is in your head. It happens to me. I'm like, why is that line in my head? I don't want to think about that. You know, maybe we, we, would, we would benefit from going through and cleaning out our playlists, cleaning out our, our movie libraries, right? This is the natural, I want to tell you guys, this is the natural byproduct of true revival. That someone sees the call to holiness and they act upon it to the point where they cast out their idols. They, get, they clean house and they never return to those idols. This is one of the marks of, of true revival in a country. And tragically, guys, this is how we can tell America has not had a true revival in a while. What is it? Some 80% claim to be Christian in our country. And yet, the recreational drug industry is thriving. Alcohol, the alcohol industry is thriving. Pornography is multi-billion dollars. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Sex trafficking is one of the biggest issues in the world today because it's such a huge industry and it's thriving in America. And yet we're 80% Christian. Something's wrong with that, right? We haven't seen true revival. But how awesome would it be if America turned to God, if your neighbors, the professing believers, turned, truly turned to God and got rid of their idols to the point where rated R movies wouldn't even sell in the box offices. They wouldn't do well. Because we don't, we don't need to watch junk. To the point where the pornography industry suffers greatly because people stop watching. Bars having to close down because 
people who aren't alcoholics anymore. How, how amazing would that be? True revival. True revival. It'd be incredible. It would look like this right here. Casting out idols, never to return to them again. Oh, by the way, guys, revival starts with us. We can do that today. We should, and we need to. We need to make the decisions to starve out those, those industries and not be a part, not take part in it. Come out from among them and be separate. Verse 5, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So God supernaturally causes this terror to come upon the Canaanites about Jacob and his family. And he has to do this because last chapter, the sons slaughtered a a Canaanite town, making them a target. And Jacob is like, boys, I'm trying not to go to war. God is giving me this land, but I'm not going to take it by force. He didn't tell me to do that. We have to wait on the Lord. And then they go and do that in Shechem and slaughter the town. And now they got a big old target on their back. And all the Canaanites are like, this isn't going to do. But then the terror of God falls on them supernaturally. And what this reminds me of is God's faithfulness. God will protect his people, guys. God will protect his people, not because we're worthy or deserving, but because he is faithful. God will protect the nation of Israel. Do you know that? He will continue to protect them until the end. Not because they're deserving or faithful, but because God is faithful to keep His promises. Another picture of that right here. Verse 6, And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, or God, the God of Bethel. Because there God had revealed Himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah... Rebekah's nurse died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Albacath, or Oak of Weeping. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of memorials in this chapter as well. It's not a very bright chapter, but there's a lot of good, good takeaways. But here we're told that Deborah, this woman named Deborah, who was Rebekah's nurse, she dies, and, it's, and they all mourn for her. She was a significant part of the family, now, if you, if you remember, Jacob was, well, he was a mama's boy. He was very close to mom. So Deborah, Rebecca's maid, he would have had a lot of time with Rebecca. Rebecca would, or I'm sorry, Deborah. And Deborah would have played a big role in raising Jacob, no doubt, and helping Rebecca. And so to, to Jacob at this time in life when his mom is, has passed away, Deborah would be a great comfort. And so she's around. And so at some point, Jacob acquires Deborah which tells us also that he very likely had returned to Hebron at some point or another. And he, he now has Deborah, and she's, she's likely fulfilling the grandma role, right? Because Rebecca's not around. And now she passes away, and they, and they mourn and they grieve for her. And one thing that this reminded me of that the Lord put on my heart just to share to some of you ladies is that some of you might not be able to have kids, whether it's for physical reasons or God just doesn't have that in, in marriage, in line, for whatever reason, if you find yourself in a position or if you're listening and you, you don't have kids, you can't have children, don't forsake family. Don't, don't forsake the idea and the dream of family just because you can't have your own kids. In fact, you can have tremendous impact on the lives of children, perhaps even more children, not having your own kids. But Deborah was this woman, as far as we know, she didn't have kids. She was a, she was a nurse. But she had huge impact on Jacob and all the 12 sons of the tribes of Judah. I mean, this was a special, precious woman. 
And there are, there are people that you can touch, children in your life that you can really pour into and be a special person for and really impact their lives. So just, under, just understand that. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. Our hope is that through this ministry, your heart would be ignited to live boldly for Christ. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 and 28, we want to invite you out to join us in person. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway and Camino Seco. We hope to see you there. God bless.